Good morning. My name is Chris. I'm a pastor here, and I just want to say happy Easter. Come on now. No, 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 no. Happy Easter. You know, I've been to enough Easter services to know kind of what's in the room. Some of us are amped this morning. You woke up, you shouted, he is risen, and you basically floated your way into church this morning, right? You uh, love Jesus, you live for Jesus, and so you look forward to Easter all year long. If that's you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Others of us here are not amped at all. You're here because your friend or family member is as persistent as they are annoying, and they broke you down, didn't they? You relented. Your being here is because you relented, and um, you might not consider yourself a Christian. You might even have issues with Christianity, and if that's you, sincerely, we are so glad you're here. But you know, I think most of us are somewhere in between this morning. You don't hate God, but you also don't love him like some people do. You're kind of just over here. Maybe you had a season where you were really close to the Lord. You were passionate about the things of God, but then life happened and you found yourself just over here. Last summer, my wife and I went up to Lutzen and we were talking to an owner of one of the outfitters and he asked what I did for a living and I said, I'm a pastor and his eyes just kind of dropped down. And he said, my grandpa was a pastor, and my dad's a pastor, and my brother's a pastor. And uh, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just kind of over here. See, the raw reality is that most of us in this room are living a life that's just kind of over here. We don't hate God, but we don't love him as some people do. We're just kind of over here. And we're over here because of shame and regret. Now, I know we try to play it cool and strong, but one thing everyone in this room has in common is that we've all made mistakes. We've all done some things we regret. In 2020, no one was the best version of themselves, right? For most of us, 2020 will go down as our year of compromise, So here's the question, how does God feel about you when you compromise? How does God feel about you when you're living life over here? A lot of times Easter's about how do you feel about God, that's not actually that important. I want to know how does God feel about you? How does God feel about you when you've made mistakes and done things you regret? How does the risen Jesus Feel about you, listen, when you're at your very worst. Open up your Bibles to John 21. If you don't have a Bible, Google John 21 on your phone, or we will have verses up here on the, on the screen. I also want to say in writing this message, I was greatly helped by Pastor Ben Stewart at Passion City Church. So if you hear something that lands profound, it's probably not from me, it's from him. Give him the due credit. But today, guys, we're looking at the life of Peter. So Peter was one of uh, Jesus' first and closest disciples, and he was one of those people who are all heart, half mind. Do you know one of those people? Uh, Kind of a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, the the polar opposite of calculated and reserved, which isn't always bad. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, Jesus said, who do you guys think I am? And it was only Peter who stood up and said, I think you're the son of God. And when Jesus gets arrested, it was 
Peter who pulls out the sword and fights for Jesus. Now, he was trying to kill a guy and he only got an earlobe, which just goes to show how he wasn't the most deliberate and calculated organized person out there. But the point is, Jesus, uh, Peter was all in on Jesus. In fact, on the same night when Jesus was arrested, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm about to be taken and you're all going to scatter. And it was Peter who says, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So a couple hours later, the religious leaders arrest Jesus. They take him to a courtyard and Peter and John follow behind from a distance And from there, they watch the man they believe to be God get mocked and crucified. And in that moment, John 18, 17 says, a servant girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? No. Then someone else comes and says, no, no, you are one of his disciples, aren't you? No, I'm not. I don't know this man. Then someone else says, no, I I saw you in the garden with him. And Peter says, no, I, I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And at that moment, not only does the rooster crow, but Luke 22 says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, followed him for three years, day and night, denies even knowing Jesus, not to the high priest, not to Pontius Pilate. Peter, full of swagger, Peter cracks before a little girl. And worst of all, Jesus saw the whole thing. So Jesus gets crucified, buried on Friday, and then Sunday morning comes. This is why we're here. Mark 16 says this, Mark 16, verse 2. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went out to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the tomb, uh, the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And they said to, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the disciples where they laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Why do you think the angel said, and Peter? Because apparently, Peter felt like he was now excluded from the group. Like if Jesus is risen, he doesn't want to see me. Man, I I messed up. So there's the disciples, but now I'm just over here. That's the context of John 21. So now let's watch what happens. You with me in your Bibles? John 21, beginning in verse 1, says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, 
Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were all together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, why would he go fishing? Back then, fishing wasn't a sport like it is today. Fishing was hard work. And remember, before meeting Jesus, Peter was a career fisherman. So what does he do after his biggest failure? Guys, he just goes to work. He just gets busy. Isn't that what all of us do? Listen, we, we've all made dumb decisions in life, decisions that deny the reality of Jesus. We all have a laundry list of things that we try not to think about too much because if we do, the bitterness and shame, of shame and regret just becomes too much. And the best way to silence all of that is to just move on, get busy, go to work, get really into a hobby, get consumed with a relationship, spend hours on a screen. The best way to deal with shame and regret is to distract ourselves with something. So Peter goes fishing. Now watch what happens, verse 3. They said to him, the other disciples, we will go with you. Side note, if you want to walk away from Jesus, there's always people who will go with you. We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, for a professional fisherman to go out all night and catch nothing, something's up. You guys, Jesus is moving in toward Peter. When Jesus draws near to distracted hearts, he does so by complicating things. I've never heard a testimony that says, you know, work was great, family was great, my job was great, and then I realized I needed Jesus. No, that's never it. It's always the way I was living wasn't working. Uh, Something didn't go as planned. Tragedy struck. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers through our pleasures but shouts in our pains. It is his microphone. So they fish all night. They catch nothing. Now we can see how Jesus is drawing near. Verse 4, look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? In the original language, he literally says, little boys, and then he says it in a negative way. You don't have any fish, do you? Life isn't working, is it? Verse 5, they answered him, no. (laughs) Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're thinking, I've heard this story before. I know this story, throw the net in, no fish, Jesus has changed sides, tons of fish. You're right. You have heard this story before because this isn't the first time Jesus has done this. He did it one other time in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus first called Peter to follow him. You see, in Luke 5, Peter had been fishing all night. Jesus steps into his boat and says, you should drop your nets to the other side. And can you just imagine how annoying that would be? 
Peter's like, really? Okay, the rabbi's gonna tell me how to fish. All right, let's just try it. Let's do the other side, guys. Drop it on the other side. And the fish race into the net at such quantity that both boats begin to sink. And Peter realizes, God is in my boat. And he falls on his knees and he says, depart from me, I'm too sinful for you. You guys, in John 21, catch this. In the moment of Peter's greatest failure, Jesus recreates the miracle to send the message to Peter, do you want to start over? Do you want to go back to the beginning? And for once in Peter's life, he understands. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. John's like, Peter, it's Jesus. He's back and he's calling you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Peter, I'm terrified. I'm going to be like laying down in the boat, right? Because the one who claimed to be God is back from the dead, proving that he is God, and he watched me. I mean, the last time I saw him was him watching me deny him before a little girl. And now he's standing on the shore. What would you expect Jesus to talk like from the shore? Would he be angry? Peter! Would he be more punishing? Hey, Peter. Bet you didn't expect to see me, did you? Well, Peter knows what the miracle means. He knows that Jesus is giving him a do-over. So look what happens, verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for his work, and he threw himself into the sea. Point one, if you're taking notes. Guys, his resurrection means the relationship can be restored. The relationship can be restored. How do you think Jesus relates to you in your failures? Is he angry? Is he punishing? Maybe worst of all, is he silent? Just a cold shoulder. Most of us, when we think of God, we feel an always present sense of condemnation as we assume God is constantly recounting our failures and our sins. And because no one likes to feel condemned, we wall ourselves off from God through distraction and we end up living life just kind of over here. We don't hate God, but we certainly aren't as close as we'd want to be. But I'm praying that every one of us does what Peter does this morning. He stops running from God and he moves towards him. He just throws himself into the sea. Was it pretty? No. He put on his clothes to jump in the water. Nobody does that. It wasn't a swan dive, a dignified entry. He just jumps towards Jesus. Guys, it was a mess. Maybe you're thinking, I do kind of feel far from God, but I don't know the right words to say. I don't know the rules. I don't even know how to move toward Jesus. Listen, it doesn't need to look pretty. It's not supposed to. It's not a swan dive. Just throw yourself upon Christ. The question is, how can Jesus relate to Peter like this? If Jesus is holy, did he just excuse Peter's sins? Will he excuse ours too? No, that's the whole point. You know this, right? That's the whole point of the resurrection. 
Jesus is standing on the shore and that's proof to Peter and it's proof to us that he didn't excuse sin. He atoned for it. He paid for it, guys, in full. When Jesus died on the cross, he fully, finally, and forever forgave every person who would throw themselves towards Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so that our relationship can be restored. Colossians 1.20, Jesus reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you hear that? You who are living just kind of over here have been brought near. And the resurrection is the proof. It's the proof that the cross worked. God received the payment in full. God allowed Jesus to remove all our sin and to infuse all his righteousness so that those who are living just over here could be brought near. The resurrection means you can stop running from God and move towards him. Praise God, praise God. But now watch what happens, verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging, I, I think John is just a little bitter still, dragging the net full of fish, they were not far off from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, which the fish laid on it, and bread. Notice Jesus already has fish. He doesn't need anything they're bringing, and he doesn't need anything you're bringing either. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Why does John tell us that there's 153 fish? Why is that an important detail for us to know? Listen, it's not. It's not at all. This is what we call an internal proof, and it's one of the reasons you know you're reading history and not myth. One of the things that separates myth from eyewitness testimony is that with testimony, there will be details that are totally irrelevant to the overall event. If I said, yeah, man, I was walking in this morning and I almost got ran over by a guy. He was wearing like a, a red shirt and he just blew the stop sign. What does the red shirt have to do with him blowing a stop sign? Nothing. It's just what I saw. And so this is John years later going, I still remember. We counted every one of those dang fish. There's 153 of them. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So the resurrected Jesus standing on the shore, and of all the things he could have done, I would have thought he would have started preaching, maybe teach a sermon. No, no, he cooks them breakfast. Why? Well, because they'd been fishing all night. He knows they're hungry, but, but two, because you eat breakfast with people you like. I don't know what you do when no one else is looking. I don't know the dark things in your closet, but I do know that the heart of Jesus in the midst of Peter's worst and darkest moment 
is not to scold him, but to serve him breakfast. George Clooney once gave an interview and said that as a kid, he would feel so bad about his sins that he would put gravel in his shoes and then jump off his bunk bed and land on the gravel to punish himself for his sins because he thought that's what God wanted. Guys, that's as far from John 21 as we can get. Jesus doesn't punish Peter. He makes him pancakes. Because Jesus satisfied the righteous wrath of God towards Peter's sins on the cross, the relationship's restored. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Now the word fire, unsurprisingly, shows up in the Bible all the time. In biblical times, fires were a way of life, so it's not surprising that there are many occurrences in the Bible of people sitting around fires. But a charcoal fire is a very specific kind of fire. A charcoal fire shows up two places in the Bible. Once here, and it's the kind of fire Peter was standing by when he denied Jesus. In John 18, 18, when when Peter cracks, it says, Now the servants and officers had made charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. You see, guys, the risen Christ first reworks the miracle by casting of the nets to communicate to Peter our relationship can be restored. But now... He recreates the moment of Peter's greatest failure to say, but we still have to deal with this. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, you love me more than these. Now, what do the these refer to? It could be referring to the disciples because on the night Jesus uh, Jesus was betrayed by Peter, Peter said, all these guys are going to, Fold, but I won't. And so Jesus could be saying, do you still think you love me more than these disciples? I mean, I, I, I don't like to see you hurting, but I love to see you humbled. Jesus could be referring to the disciples. He could also be, the grammar allows, for him to be referring to the fish. Jesus could be saying, Peter, after three years together, and you went back to fishing really fast. Peter, I called you to be a fisher of men. I called you into something more. Are you really going to go back to that and settle for fish? Do you love me more than these? We don't know what Jesus is referring to. The point is, Jesus wants to know if Peter loves him more. Verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, is Jesus just being mean here? Is he just rubbing Peter's face in his own failure? Hey, Peter, you love me? Didn't look like it on Friday. 
Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Oh, should I go get the little girl? Do you want to say it in front of her? That's how I always thought Jesus treated me when I betrayed him. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. If Jesus wanted to shame Peter, he would have emphasized Peter's past. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Okay, well, what about Friday? But he doesn't point backwards. He points forwards. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, then tend my flock. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I know, Peter, so let's move forward. You see, guys, Jesus gives three opportunities to profess, for Peter to profess his love to Jesus to redeem the three times he failed to. Jesus isn't hurting Peter here. He's healing him. He's bringing Peter back to his biggest regrets so that Jesus can redeem them and Peter can move forward. Point two, his resurrection means my sins can be redeemed. That's what we're celebrating this morning. A a lot of us don't like talking about sin because honestly, we feel enough shame and regret over the things we've done. The last thing we need is for someone to rub our faces in our failure. Jesus wants to talk about sin, but not to hurt you, to heal you. You see, if Jesus had not brought Peter back to the charcoal fire, every morning Peter would have awoken to the the sound of a rooster, the daily reminder of his worst moment and the distance between him and God. We have those reminders too, don't we? can't turn on our computer or look at our phone without that little subtle reminder of the dark things we've done on it. We can't look at our spouse without thinking of the ways we've been unfaithful. We can't think back to high school or college or a certain relationship without cueing our low light reel from that time period. And when God takes those who are just kind of over here and draws us near, He will put his hands on our worst moments. He will put his hands on our sin so that it can be redeemed and we can move on. What causes you to feel shame and regret? What's the thing you try best not to think about too much? What are the ways you have denied Jesus and his will for your life? See, guys, if we don't let Jesus deal with our sins and failures, they will dominate our present and determine our future. They will dominate and determine how we walk into rooms, how we do relationships, how we spend our free time, what we do when we're all alone, and yes, how we will spend eternity. The loved ones, Jesus is standing on the shore this morning And he doesn't want to shame you. He wants to save you. He's saying, I love you. You're not too far gone. The relationship is still open, but we've got to deal with this. The biblical word for that is repentance. Repent of your sins. To repent literally means to return. And it's through repentance that Jesus redeems us of our sin and thus frees us to move on. 
Acts 3.19, Peter says, repent, turn again that your sins may be blotted out. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you hear that? That's moving on. Cleansing us from our unrighteousness. Listen, you are not too far gone. And today, Jesus is inviting you to repent, to return, not to harm you, but to heal you and to save your life. Johnny Cash had a successful career, got hooked on drugs, torpedoes his life, alienates his friends and family, and in his lowest moment, he decided that he was going to end his life. And if you read his autobiography, he says that he decided that he was just going to crawl into the deepest cave he knew, and when his flashlight burned out, that would be the end of Johnny Cash. So he crawled three hours in, Flashlight burns out, and he just curls up and readies himself to die. And he said in that moment, the strangest thing happened. He felt God come closer to him ever be- than ever before and say, I still want you to crawl out of the cave. And he th- thought, and he said, I'm too deep in here now. I'm not going to make it back. But he just started crawling back. <clears throat> And in in the midst of all that darkness, he saw the light and he was able to crawl out. His friends took him to the hospital. And within a few years, he's doing crusades with Billy Graham. And he's on MTV talking about the judgment of God towards sin, but the grace that is available in Jesus Christ. Guys, that's what repentance looks like. It's just crawling back toward the light to start all over again. Because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross in full, his resurrection means he's standing outside our cave of sin and regret and shame and sin, and he's calling us the light. Guys, Jesus is by your charcoal fire this morning inviting you to deal with your sins through repentance, so they no longer have the power to dominate your present and determine your future. So Jesus redeems Peter's denial three times in verse 17, but now look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus tells Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted and When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. In AD 64, a disastrous fire went through Rome, and Emperor Nero blamed it on the Christians. And so he took Peter, one of the church's most prominent leaders, and had him crucified. You love Jesus so much, then you can die the same way he did. Peter felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus did, so he made one final request. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. And in fulfillment of verse 18, Peter's hands were stretched out, and someone carried him where he did not want to go, to an upside-down cross. Guys, don't miss this. 
Peter goes from denying Jesus before a little girl to requesting before Emperor Nero that if you're going to crucify me like Jesus, at least do it upside down so that even my death can glorify him. Point three, his resurrection means my future can be renewed. Jesus looks at Peter and says, yeah, you've made mistakes. Yeah, you've messed up big time. But your life now and your death are going to glorify me. I'm going to transform you in such a way that all your mistakes and regrets and sins, yes, even your sins, will testify to my grace and my power to transform people. Because Jesus restored your relationship and redeemed your sins on the cross, for all of us, the resurrection means your future can be renewed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Guys, it's time to get over it. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you will repent of your sins, then your sins will have no bearing on what God can do with your future. In fact, more than that, your sins and your regrets and your mistakes will be bent by the sovereignty of God in final analysis to even testify to the grace of Jesus and his power to transform sinners like you and me. How does this happen? How do we lean into our future like Peter did? See it at the end of verse 19. Follow me. Do you see it there? Follow Jesus. That's the call on this Resurrection Sunday. Follow Jesus. Check out how Peter responds to that in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is this that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So, so we get the scene that, that Jesus and Peter kind of start walking away from the fire, and Peter goes, Lord, what about him? He points to John. And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter says what all of our moms used to say when we said, but he started it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. About you. You might be thinking, I want to follow Jesus, but my family, Jesus is saying, no, no, we're not talking about your family right now. We're talking about you. You follow me. Well, I would, but my boyfriend or girlfriend, no, no, we're not talking about them right now. We're talking about you. Well, I have some questions about Christianity or the Bible. We'll, we'll get to that. But right now, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you. Right now, you follow me. Again, I don't know where you are at this morning with the Lord. I don't know what you have done. I don't know what you are continuing to do. But I do know that through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday, no matter where you find yourself this morning, your relationship with God can be restored. Your sins, every single one of them, can be restored redeemed, and your future can be renewed. So stop moving away from God and just throw yourself toward Christ. Repent of your sins and trust him to bend them 
in such a way that in final analysis, they will glorify him. Even your sin will glorify him. And commit today afresh to follow Jesus into your future. If you will do that, not only your life, but your death will glorify Jesus. Let's pray. Father, most of us don't hate you. Most of us don't love you like we wish we did. Most of us aren't following as close to you as we know we ought. We just kind of find ourselves over here. And the resurrection is God in flesh standing on the shore saying, we can go back to the beginning. You can have a mulligan. You can have a do-over. The relationship can be restored. The sins can be redeemed. And your future is bright. You will follow me if you will repent and if you will throw yourself upon the mercy of Jesus Christ. I pray that if anyone is hearing my voice, I mean really hearing this morning, that before they walk out of here today, that they would crawl out of that cave of regret and shame and sin and fall at the feet, the ever merciful, ever gracious, ever forgiving feet of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.